Hey, thank you for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can go to our website, renewalchicago.com. I pray that this podcast today is a blessing and encouragement to your soul. If you got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. While you're flipping, how'd y'all enjoy that negative 40-degree day or whatever it was? Some of y'all enjoyed it too much. I was on Instagram seeing y'all throw up hot water in the air and stuff. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm right here inside this warm house. Thank you, Jesus. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. If you got it, would you stand to your feet with me if you're able as we read the Word of God together? Starting in verse 1, the text reads, I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you may you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Very words of God, amen. Amen. Today I specifically want to preach on I am the vine. Say that with me. I am the vine. We're going to key in on that verse one this morning. Before we go any further, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good God, and we thank you for your goodness. Father, I just ask right now that you would hide me behind your cross, that you would be lifted up in this place. And Father, your folks wouldn't hear from me, but they would hear a word from you. Decrease me so that you may increase. Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We all say these things, and we pray in the name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, as most of you know, I have five children. Five children. Yeah, my wife and I, we have five kids four daughters and one little man. And one of the things that has never ceased to amaze me with any of my children and 
them is when they're a baby in the womb. I, I, I mean, the way God shapes and forms that baby in the womb to fully come out, I mean, moving, and they start from this little bitty thing, and then they, they get everything they need in the mother, mother's womb. Y'all, it, 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 it never ceases to amaze me that they come out, and then they start growing, and all this. It, it just never ceases to amaze me that in the midst of this womb, they're getting everything they need, and there's nothing that I can do physically, but God is shaping and, and forming them. I mean, for 36 to 40 weeks, they're literally sitting in the womb of their mother, totally submerged in water or amniotic fluid, and, 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 and it's fully dependent on the mother all the nourishment is, is coming from her and given to this baby. I mean, they're fed, they're nourished by the mother's body, fed through the umbilical cord. I mean, I mean when you think about it, it's amazing. And, and, and that old adage about the mother, now she's eating for two, y'all heard that before? It ain't true. I mean, they're so in sync that the mother's body, she only actually has to take in about 300 more calories in order to fully birth a healthy baby. 300, you can eat that in a candy bar. I mean, the mother, she has to watch what she's doing. No, 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 no over the top, nothing hazardous, unless you're my wife. If you watch my wife, like she, she looks like she's training for the Olympics or something. I mean, squat jumps and everything, all of that and more. And I'm like, baby, what you doing? She's like, this baby weight is going to get off me when the baby comes. I'm like, but the baby's still in your stomach. I mean, all that aside, family, I don't want you to miss the point. Here's the point. My point is that the baby is fully dependent on the mother for everything in the womb. And it doesn't stop when the baby actually comes out. No, 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 it keeps on going. That baby can't walk by itself, can't talk, can't hold his head up like a bobblehead back and forth all over the place, can't really eat, can't put, pick up food by itself. They can't do anything on their own. They're still strictly dependent on their mother and father for everything they need. They need everything from them. And here's the thing. There's other nurse, there's other supplements and all these other things that you can find under the sun to give to your baby. But hear me, there's nothing that nourishes or feeds a baby like a mother's breast milk. Don't miss what I'm saying here. Here's my point in everything I'm saying. Here it is. A family, family, a baby cannot survive without his mother. And so it is the same for the believer with Jesus. Don't miss it. But see, here's, here's the problem. The problem is, is that we tend to think we can survive on our own. And what I mean is that the believer tends to think that they can figuratively walk their life and do everything they need to do on their own, in their own strength. And it's just like a baby trying to take the first steps. And what happens is they just keep falling over and over. And the same thing is for the believer. As we're walking along trying to do it on our own, we keep falling. We keep messing up with the same things over and over and over again. And you know why? We're not truly dependent on Jesus. Hear me, family. Before you turn to me out, maybe you're saying, I'm not a believer. This message is not for me. No, it is. This is for non-believers too. This is for believers. These are for, this is for people that are struggling with their faith. Because as I pointed out last week in the text, as we're walking through John and these I am statements, these disciples who Jesus is talking to right now, they're really not believers yet. They're walking with Jesus. They know who he is. But they don't really believe until Jesus rises from the grave and shows them that he's God. 
They're turning their backs on him. They, they don't really believe. So in this passage, once again, as we've seen with the other I am statements, Jesus is not only telling them to believe, but just like with a baby and his mother, he's saying, I am the only way for you to survive. I'm the only way for you to have the fruitful life that you desire. Jesus says, I am the vine. Abide in me. Abide in me. Family, here's the question I need you to ponder. This is the, the one thing I want you to think about during this sermon. I want you to answer this. Is Jesus truly my vine, or is it me? Is Jesus truly my vine, or is it me? What am I dependent on? Now, as we get into this text, this is the last of Jesus' statements, the I am statements, and He's making these divine statements again about himself and who he is, and I'm God, and I'm for my people, and I always will be for my people. In this text, he says, I am the true vine, key word, true vine. And what he's referring to is Old Testament Israel, where God made this covenant with the people of Israel, where throughout Scripture, Israel has been referred to as the vine or the vineyard. You can see this throughout the Old Testament. And, and what the vineyard or the vine, if you think about wine and you think about grapes, what it's supposed to do is it, it's supposed to produce fruit. But because Israel had failed to produce fruit throughout the ages, what happens is it resulted in many times divine judgment. So what Jesus is saying is, you all fell. You didn't do this. So here I am. I am the true vine. You need to abide in me. Abide in me and you will produce fruit. Now follow me. Hear me. God, in this text, he says, God is the vine dresser. And the vine dresser does two things. He removes unfruitful branches. And number two, he prunes all the others. So Jesus is the vine. God is the vine dresser. The believers are the branches. Don't miss what's happening in this text, because sometimes when we read Jesus' words or we see him talking in the text, it's easy to miss the things that he's actually saying. Jesus says, every branch that's in me, in verse 2, y'all see this, that does not bear fruit, he meaning God takes away and in verse 6, it says the fruitless branches are thrown into the fire. But on the other hand, the ones that are in Christ but do bear fruit, God prunes them so they can produce more fruit. Don't miss it. Y'all follow with me. Now, the question becomes, what does it mean to be in Christ? Because both of them in this text are said to be in Christ. So hear me. To be in Christ means to believe in Jesus, but the problem again is that Jesus in this text says that both of these branches that are pruned off or in it are, are, are in Christ. So what does it mean? But see, here's the thing. One produces fruit and one doesn't produce fruit. Now, don't miss this. What Jesus is really saying is that there are many people that say they are in me, but they really don't believe. Don't miss it. Some of y'all missed it. He says, they really don't know me. He says, they're simply nominal at best. They're Christian by name. But they really don't believe. They come to church. They go to Sunday school. They even go through group and, and, and sit in there throughout the week. But when it comes to really trusting Jesus with their whole life, they don't. See, see, this is the person that believes in the beginning and at the end of the day that they know better than God. They refuse to pray 
over decisions. They don't even consult people. And even if they do consult them, they just shriek back and trust their own hearts. Where in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can understand it? Other than God who knows and searches the heart. But yet we choose to continue to trust our heart. Let me keep going. This is the person that says they trust Jesus on Sunday, but the night before church, they're in the club doing who knows what, just dragging themselves into church with the same clothes on. It's the person after Sunday at church, Monday, they're back to swearing every other word. No judgment. Some of y'all might be there right now. That's what Jesus is talking about in this text. He's saying, he's saying that, see, their belief has only permeated on a head or a cognitive level, but it hasn't trickled down into their hearts. You see, it hasn't hit on a heart level because here's the thing. A person that believes in Jesus, it causes one to walk differently. It causes you to talk differently. It causes you to act differently. And, and it's not by your own doing. It's not, I'm going to stop this. I'm not going to do this anymore. It's because of his work in your heart. See, Jesus in this passage, don't miss this, he's juxtaposing or, or contrasting the believer and the non-believer. And, he, it's, and, and the hard part about this is that he's not talking about the person that just flat out says, I don't believe in Jesus. No, no, it's, like I said, he's talking about the one that says all the right things, even comes to church. But at the end of the day, their life isn't about glorifying God. It's about glorifying themselves. Now, friends, this is a tough passage. That's a tough word to hear because it's tapping into this cultural norm or this type of Christianity that plagues people today because it means that we have to trust Jesus for everything in our life. We have to trust Jesus and believe in Christ that he's the, he's the, the actual best way, he's the best person, he's the best place for me to receive everything I need. That's tough. Now, now, let me pause and let me ask you, because we've been walking through these I am statements for some weeks now. Do you see the similarities in Jesus' speech? The things that he's saying? I mean, you, you should see some commonalities in what Jesus is actually saying over and over to them. He keeps saying the same thing in essence. He's saying, I'm God. I'm the only one that you can receive everything you need, and I just need you to trust and believe in me. It's trust and believe, it's trust and believe, it's trust and believe. But the question is always, do we really, truly trust Jesus is the only way? Do we truly trust and believe in him? So what I want to do this morning, I'm going to do something a little different. I want to give you guys a vivid picture of what it really looks like to abide in Jesus divine. And I, I'm going to be honest with you because when, when I was writing this message and I'm, I'm working through the text... I'm studying, and I was having a little bit of trouble because throughout this series, I, I feel like in my preaching, even in through the words of Jesus, we've been beating the same drum over and over again, and the resounding sound continually is the same thing. Trust and believe, trust and believe, trust and believe, trust and believe. It's over and over again. And family, it, it seems repetitive in each one of these statements. And the reason being is, again, is, is that too many times in our life, as Christian or not Christian, we can become familiar with Jesus. We can know things about Jesus, but yet we don't trust him with our lives. So we have to keep coming back to the same thing over and over again. Trust and believe. Trust and believe. Trust and believe. It's the everyday battle. Hear me, family, again, salvation. And trusting in Jesus is not just a one-day thing. 
where I trust Jesus by faith, then I get baptized, my life changes, and then the next day I'm back to the same stuff. It's not a one-day thing. It's an everyday walk-by-faith choice and, and loving Jesus every day. And Jesus says in verse 8 of the text, if you look at it with me, when we do abide and trust Jesus as the vine, we bear fruit that not glorifies us but him. But again, therein lies the problem. Because we, we, we think we can make it on our own. I mean, I'm, I'm a culprit of it too. We, we think we can make it on our own. And, and the reality is, no matter how long we've been walking with Jesus, no matter how much we know him or we don't know him, maybe we're a new believer, here's the truth. We're still all like babies drinking mother's milk. We still need him. And hear me, I know we don't like that, that, that imagery. We like feeling as if we're the end all be all at the end of the day. I got everything I need. I don't need anybody else. And because of that, it makes Christianity a less appealing religion because it's not dependent on what you do or you bring to the table. But yet, on the other hand, it's telling you that it's dependent on someone else who's better than you. It's not your works. It's his works. And that's less appealing because now I don't have to do anything. Friends, what, I, what I'm trying to get at in all of this is that what Jesus is trying to say is stop treating me like the in and out supermarket. Stop coming in and believing in me. And once you get what you need, you go the other way. Stop coming to me when you're in trouble and then, then go back to what you're doing. Trust me every day, he's saying. Trust me every hour. Believe. Hear me. The, the Christian walk, this is tough, but... It, it's not about you being happy or living your best life now. I mean, you may experience some of that, but Jesus, he's far more concerned with you producing fruit. And you know what fruit does? You know what the fruit, if you think of fruit, any, if fruit, it nourishes, it feeds, it, it helps the people that partake in it. But just like a branch that's of no use, broken off of the vine, a Christian that's not abiding in Jesus can do nothing. And see, again, he, he's not talking about you can't do anything. He's talking about eternal weight. See, Christians cannot produce fruit, the fruit that he's talking about here in this text, without abiding fully in Christ. Now, hear me, I'm pretty sure you're saying, okay, Pastor G, I get that. I got to abide in Jesus. I get it. That makes sense. But what does that look like for me? What does it mean to fully abide and trust in Jesus? Because I ain't no baby and I'm not drinking milk. I'm a grown man. I'm an independent woman. I, I, I get it. And I hear you. So stick with me. Let me break this down a little bit with you, okay? Jesus in the text, he says, He's the vine. He says, we're the branches that bear fruit. He says that in verse 5, apart from me, you can bear nothing. Now, hear me. This does not mean you won't bear fruit. doesn't mean that you won't bear fruit, have things happen, come out of your life if you don't believe in Jesus. No, you will. Again, what he's really saying is that it will have no eternal weight. So what this means is that we will all bear fruit. The question we have to answer is what kind of fruit are you bearing? And the follow-up question is, how do I produce the fruit that will last for all eternity? Because at the end of the day, I want to I I hope that we're not that selfish. So everything we do in our life is, if you want to do something, you're thinking, man, 
I don't want this to just be about me. Hopefully, it will affect other people. We want to impact other people, right? We want to do that, right? I, I hope that we're not that selfish. I mean, it, it, we want our works to be for the good of everyone. But again, this brings us back to the vine because this happens only by truly abiding in Jesus. And we're only able to truly abide in Jesus when we come face to face with the grace of God in our lives. Follow me, understanding within that grace that without him, I am nothing. Or as the text says, apart from him, I can do nothing. Now, hear me. We can work and live from either one or two places in our lives. Either we can work from this place of me-centeredness, where it's all about me, it's about my well-being, it's about my notoriety, or we can live from a place of true devotion to Jesus, knowing who he is, abiding in him, as the one and true vine, and now we make his name famous. We can work from one of those two places in our lives. So what I'm going to do, like I said, I'm going to do something a little different. I want to give you some practical pictures of two different people who are two different places in their life. One that chose Jesus as the vine and one that does not choose him as the vine. And I need you all to ask the hard question as I'm walking through these types of people, who do I line up with more? I need you to be honest, and the way you do that is take a deep, introspective look, look internally in your life and say, what kind of fruit comes out of my life? Where's the vine? Is it, when I look at the fruit, is it all about me, or is it raising up the name of Jesus? Is it for the good of others, or is it just about me? Because biblical fruit, or the fruit that Jesus is speaking about in this text, benefits the lives of others and advances the work of God in the world. Not the work of you, the work of God in the world. Let me begin with the person who is me-centered. In 2007, there was this show that aired called American Greed. Anybody heard of that? American Greed, it, it aired in 2007. And it, this was a show that focused on some of the biggest corporate and white-collar crimes in the United States. Stories like WorldCom and Health South and Tyco, they were explaining what you see is this underlying theme underneath the fall of all of them is this greed, this personal gain. They, they want more. And in this particular episode, they highlighted this man by the name of Barton H. Watson. Barton was this creator of a company called Cybernet Engineering. Here's this man who seemed to have it all. He's a millionaire. I mean, he, he can do whatever he wants. He had all the things you could ever dream of, but still had this lingering desire in his soul for more. He wanted more. So what he does is that he has this desire, and because of that, he takes this, this seemingly clean uh, company, and he starts to fudge the numbers a little bit to make it look a little bit more prosperous than it was. Then he starts stealing some of the money from the uh, investors and, still, and, and skimming it off the top and buying things for himself, starting to live this lavish lifestyle, hopefully to bring more attention to himself and put the spotlight on him. This would go on for a while until the FBI would pick up what he's doing. They would crack down on it. And now this bend flaw in his desire would be exposed. And at his wit's end, moments from arrest, Barton H. Watson would lock himself in his house. Police and news reporters all around his house, and they're trying to figure out what is he going to do. Is he going to turn himself in? Barton locked in his house. He picks up the phone, and he dials 911. Operator picks up the phone. He says, do you know who I am? He says, sir, I do not know who you are. 
He says, I'm Barton H. Watson, millionaire and CEO of Cybernet Engineering. Takes the phone and he puts it down. Later that night, Barton H. Watson would commit suicide. Leaving the thought in all the people that are around that knew him and asking the question, why? Man had had everything. Why, why would he do this to himself? Family, hear me. Barton had made the money. He had made the fame. He had made the notoriety. He had made himself an idol. And guess what? At the end of the day, it didn't suffice. It was not enough. In essence, he was divine in his life. He became faithful to himself, his own pursuits, and it tore up his life and his company. And here's what you cannot miss in all of that. Although this example may seem a little drastic to you, the underlying problem with Barton is the same one that we struggle with apart from Jesus, which is the same struggle that trickles into our walk with Jesus as we're walking with him is because we don't trust him every day. We struggle with that. And here's what I'm getting at. And the reason we're struggling with, with trusting Jesus every day is because he's not enough. And, and at the end of the day, we're saying we want more. We, we, we want more money. We want more house. We want more fulfillment. We want more sex. We want more control. We want more power. We want more comfort. We want more significance. We just want more. And see, here's the problem. We can get more. And we can do more. But at the end of the day, even if we get more, what ends up happening is that we still want more. And then we end up on this hamster wheel trying to get there, and we just keep getting more, but then we want more, and we just keep on going. And then the more devastating part about that is the more you get, here's the truth about it. You can't take it with you. It's going to die with you in the grave. And as the old preacher used to say, ain't no U-Hauls going to heaven. Some of y'all get that on your way home. Now, ask yourself, we got to ask that hard question. Is divine me or is it Jesus? Is the fruit produced from my life only for me or my good or for the good of others in the kingdom of God? And hear me, don't be so quick to answer that question. Because we really got to think about it. Because it's quick, it's easy to say, well, I'm a good person and I do good things for humanity and for the world. But at the end of the day, underneath the things that you do is just to make you feel good. It's for me to feel good. It's for people to notice me. Family, that's still the same struggle. So we really got to ask that question. Am I more like Barton? Be honest about it. Am I divine? Because there's hope. Jesus is still talking to these disciples because he knows they sit in that same place as Barton. He knows that we'll sit in that same place as Barton. And we're not honest about it. So he continually goes on with them talking about this same thing over and over again. This whole passage is repetitive because he knows they struggle with that. It's the same thing with us. Trust and believe. Trust and believe because I'm a better way than the way you're trying to go. Now, before you say that's not me, let me show you the other person and what abiding and being fully devoted to Jesus really looks, the vine. Let me, let, me, let me walk through this a little bit. John chapter 12, a week before this text, right after Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead, Jesus and the disciples are in Simon the leper's house, and they're having a banquet. They're having a banquet for Jesus, most likely to honor him for raising Lazarus from the dead. 
And my girl Mary, Lazarus' sister, she walks in and she takes this oil and she starts dousing it all over Jesus' feet and his head. Now, I'm going to bring Tony up here. He's going to show you this. because I, I, I want y'all to get a big picture. I want you to see a vivid picture of what's happening here in the text. Can y'all see Tony right here? Thanks. Get, get up for Tony coming up here. Yeah. yeah. So t- t- Tony's chilling. And this is what it looked like at the, po- at the party. They'd be in a U-shaped. Yeah, he's chilling. He's eating. So Jesus is looking just like that. They're just, just chilling in the middle of the party. They're eating, and it's a U-shape so the servants could come in and give them food in the midst of this time where they're eating and celebrating. So you need to imagine the room right now. The lights are dim, not like this. They don't have electricity. They probably have some lanterns where the oil is running out, so some of them aren't working. They might have some candles around the room, but it's dark in there. They're eating, celebrating. The guys are hanging out, much like some of y'all about to be doing, sitting here watching the Super Bowl later. They're hanging out, and here comes Mary. Mary walks in the midst of the room. The other accounts say that she walks in and she puts it on his head, this oil on his head, and this account says that she puts it on his feet. She's walking in the room. Now, I need y'all to pause and think about this picture. It's dark. Jesus has been, his life has been threatened many times already now, and they don't care about Mary. I could just picture the disciples. You know Peter quick with with his sword. So he's like, what's she doing? She's walking in here throwing stuff all over. I'm sorry to touch your hair. Put it on the shoes, everything. The disciples' faces are like, what is this woman doing? Is she crazy? Thanks, Tony. (laughs) Mary takes her most prized possession, an alabaster jar, which was usually used as a dowry, broken at the feet of her husband-to-be, symbolizing her love, her devotion, her commitment only to him. This alabaster jar, I need y'all to hear me, was worth about 300 denarii. One denarii is a day's wages. So you do some simple math. Say somebody makes $100 a day. 100 times 300 is what? $30,000. That means that this oil could be worth almost $30,000. And that's on the low end. Y'all, I joke, but she didn't get this from the neighborhood supermarket. She didn't get this from my guy on the corner talking about I got two for $10 in this coat either. <laughs> now, this is from northern India. This is some, some, some serious oil that was only used for solemn acts of devotion. In fact, people would use just, just cheap oil when people walked in the house to anoint them. Now, but not Mary in this text. We see her in this passage. She breaks this jar, her, mo- her most prized possession, her dowry, at the feet of Jesus to show how much she loves, honors, respects, and solely devoted to him. She's willing to give Jesus all of her, her most prized possession, everything wrapped up in one gesture. Now, folks, take a second to think about that. Could you give up your most prized possession for the sake of Jesus? Maybe it's that spouse, maybe it's uh, your kids, maybe it's a car, maybe it's your house, your job. I mean, could you give that thing up for Jesus? Better, Better yet, what's your devotion look like to that thing or that person compared to your devotion to Jesus? I'm not even gonna ask you to give it up, but what's it look like? Is Jesus, is he your vine? Is he the utmost, does he have your heart? 
Do you truly trust and believe? I mean, in this passage, look at this. Mary is risking her life socially and physically for Jesus. She should not have been in the room with the men unless she was serving them food. Women at the time were the ones that cooked and cleaned in the houses. So, so her interrupting the banquet was not a good thing. She could have been severely punished. They don't care who she is. Also, Jewish women, they didn't take down their hair during that time. They took down their hair. It was a symbol of them being unruly and unable to, to, to contain and control. But Mary, she doesn't care that she can be ridiculed and talked about for the rest of her life. No, no, no. All she cares about is bringing glory to Jesus right here in this moment. And she does that to the point where she doesn't care about her life. Mary at this moment knows that glorifying her father is much bigger than her life and her reputation. She takes the place of a servant or a slave, stoops down to wipe these nasty feet. Now, it's Jesus, but, but mind you, they didn't have Jordans or Uggs back then. They had rawhide sandals. So that means my man's feet are nasty. Now, think about it. She stoops down and she uses her hair as a towel. All my women in here, could you use your hair as a towel to wipe someone's feet? They didn't have Tresemme and Pantene Pro-V, no herbal essence, shower commercials, ain't none of that back then. His feet were nasty. But yet, she doesn't care, and she uses her hair to wipe Jesus' feet right here because it's all about her Savior. It's all about him right now. This took humility where she makes Jesus her aim and her focal point and not herself. Now, some of you are probably sitting there asking, well, why, why would she do this? Hear me, family. I believe in this moment that she, Mary, knew and believed who Jesus was. She had just seen him raise Lazarus from the dead, where he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. That's her brother. She's saying, that has to be God. So at this moment, Mary doesn't care what anyone thinks about her or could do. And in one gesture, she says, Jesus, I'm all yours. She had come face to face with God and witnessed him do a work that only he could do. Hear me. When we truly understand what Jesus did by dying the death we deserve on the cross, I need y'all to hear this. When we truly let that sink in a little bit, that that's supposed to be us hanging on the cross, taking our sin to the grave. He's doing that. And then he rises from the grave with power in his hands. When we really understand that, we willingly say, Jesus, I am all yours. I'm for you. Like Mary, you don't care what anybody else has to say about you or thinks because you're living for his glory because of what he did for you. Y'all hear me? When you really understand, when you truly understand the grace of God, the grace of God where he, he looks on you in the midst of your sin and says, yet yeah, I still love you, I still want you, and he sends his son to die in your place. When you truly understand that grace where I should be dead in my sin, but because of God, I'm not dead, I'm here. It's because of Jesus that I have what I have. When you truly understand that grace, y'all, what Mary did in this text is not an anomaly, but instead it becomes a lifestyle. And don't, don't, don't think I forgot about the fruit, because I know y'all sitting here saying, well, she gave her life to Jesus, all this, but where's the fruit in all that? 
Where's the results? What comes out of her giving her life and giving her most prized possession? Walk with me. I'm not done. Jesus says to the disciples in John chapter 12, verse 7, he says, don't touch her. What she's done, keep it for the day of my burial. Now watch this. Matthew 26, verse 13, Jesus says the same thing. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Family, follow me. Researchers say that the potency of this aroma was so strong that it stayed on Jesus through the last week of his life. It stayed on Jesus through the triumphant entry where he's riding on his donkey. It stayed on Jesus in the Last Supper. It stayed on Jesus through the crucifixion, through his burial and his resurrection. Everywhere Jesus went, this aroma went. Now, follow me, because I like to use, use my imagination because I wasn't there. And, and I like to think that there were some people that never had a face-to-face conversation with Jesus. But yet, when Jesus was slumped over that stump, and they're whipping him with cat nine tails, and they're tearing his flesh off his body, oddly enough, people aren't smelling the smell of blood and flesh, but they're getting the whiff of the aroma. Follow me. As Jesus hiking, as he's hiking up that hill with that, that cross on his back, falling down, passing thousands of people going up to Calvary, this hill. And as, they, as he's walking up this hill, they get, what's that smell? They're getting whiffs of this same aroma. As he's hanging on the cross, nails in his hands, his arms stretched out wide. When Gus goes by, people smell again. The aroma, the aroma that, that Mary gave to him. He goes to the grave three days later. Watch this. He's walking around now, raised to walk in newness of life. Those same people that never had a face-to-face conversation to Jesus. They, they, they smell this same aroma, start looking around, and they see a resurrected Jesus say, ain't that the man that died on the cross? Isn't that the man that was buried in a grave? And because of that, that aroma and remembering who Jesus is, is they, they see a resurrected Jesus and they put their faith in him. Y'all don't miss what's happening. This is all because of one's true devotion to the vine, Jesus Christ. Because of her devotion to him, what happens is that she produces eternal fruit. People believe. Don't miss it. What I'm really trying to get to you all, family, is that when we're totally sold out to Jesus, our actions will not only be a sweet aroma to him, but they'll be a sweet aroma to people around where they can't help to see us and look at our lives and say, whatever they have, I want that. And because of that, they'll call on the name that's higher than any other name, the name of Jesus. Family, but we must do the hard work and ask the question, which vine am I producing fruit from? Is the vine of me like Barton? Or is the vine Jesus? Is it the vine that leaves me wanting more? Or is it the vine that leaves me totally satisfied, not caring what other people think? Is it the vine that produces for God's glory, the good of others, or just for me? Family, which one is it? And in order to get to that question when we think about our fruit, hear me. We have to answer the same question that I've been beating the whole time is do I truly trust and believe in Jesus? Do I truly trust that he is a better way than what I've been trusting in my life? 
do I truly trust that I don't have all that it takes, but he does. And because of that, he looks at me and he's good to me and he gives his life for me. And now that I believe I can have life eternity, eternity with him. Do we truly, do we truly trust and believe? That's what Jesus is saying in these I am statements. He's saying, I'm God and I came here for you. Trust and believe in me. Don't be the Christian that just believes for two hours on Sunday and two hours throughout the week. Be the every second of every hour of the day Christian that trusts and believes in me and gives their lives to me, glorifying me. And in that, you will find an abundance of life, not just here on this earth, but in eternity with me. Do you truly trust and believe in Jesus? Is he your vine to where your life and the fruit that you produce comes from? That's the question. As I pray, I want you to just think on that. Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, you're a good father. Even when we're not good to ourselves and we don't love ourselves, you still love us. God, we're so undeserving. But yet you still look at us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our mess, and you say, I want my son, I want my daughter. And you gave up your son for our sakes. Because of that, Lord, we can have life if we believe. Not life here that promises life, but underdelivers, but life everlasting with you. Father, I pray if there's someone in here under the sound of my voice that's saying, that's me, I need to trust Jesus right now for the first time in my life, God. I pray that they would do so. If there's someone in here that's saying that, that's me, I, I've been struggling with my faith. These words, it's right on time. I, I need to run back to Jesus. I pray that they would do so right now. Say, Father, forgive me. I've been leading my own life, and I need you, Jesus. Father, I pray that we as a church and as a people would trust you as the one and only true vine, the one that gave of himself for our sakes, the one that truly loves us farther than we could ever imagine, deeper, even in the midst of our problems and mess-ups, Pastor Choi told us a couple weeks ago, you still smile and say, I still love you because of your son. Your son imaginable, Father. But we say thank you. Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. I pray again that it was a blessing and encouragement to your soul. And I hope to see you at one of our services at 10 a.m. Take care. God bless you. Uh-huh.